All right, let's take our Bibles out. We're going to veer from our Ephesians study this morning, and we're going to find ourselves in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. The way that we landed there, the reason that we're in this passage this morning, is I kind of went into some software on the computer, into BibleGateway.com, and and punched in the word thanksgiving, and I punched in thanks, and I started just reading through all the verses in Scripture that deal with thanksgiving and thankfulness. And this one, it it surprises me a little bit at the beginning that it caught my attention, because I read through the verse that deals with thanksgiving uh, farther down in the passage. Something about it caught my attention, and I started to look deeper into the context. I looked up the whole chapter, and I know what you know, comes before that chapter and after that chapter. And so I started focusing on the context of that chapter. And I found that the Apostle Paul is in some very interesting circumstances when he writes this letter to the Corinthians and when he addresses this issue or he mentions this idea of thanksgiving. I tried to go on. In fact, I did go on for a little while. I'm going to go and read through the rest of the places in the Bible that... Thanksgiving is used and thankfulness. And I read through the rest of those and I found myself coming right back to this passage. And, you know, the reason is because we're in a, we're in an odd time. We're in a, a, a different year, you know, where we're dealing with a pandemic and a volatile election and, and just all these different things that seem to be going on and the pressures and, and the hype and the news and, and, you know, coming into this Thanksgiving season, people are dealing with what they're going to do as a family as Thanksgiving even. And there's just, there's just so much going on. There just seems to be such a, an interesting, to say the least, situation that we find ourselves in this Thanksgiving. And you know what? This passage, he gets focused on Thanksgiving a little bit, but within a very unusual circumstances to be thinking about just that. Well, let's start our reading in verse... 1 of chapter 4, it says, Having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What the Apostle Paul is dealing with is in the Corinthian church, they've had some false teachers come into the church or come up through the church, and they've been trying to draw the church to follow them instead of the Apostle Paul. And so these people have been kind of claiming themselves to become some kind of super apostles if you read through the rest of the letter. And the Apostle Paul has to write to the church and say, look, don't be led astray by these people. We've been consistent among you. We've been honest among you. And at this point, he's just simply saying, look, we're not trying to come before you with fancy words or gimmicks or schemes to get you to follow us. We're just speaking the truth and doing it plainly. Well, then he continues and he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, 
persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This week I was blessed by a couple of different experiences. One was through reading uh, something on Facebook, and another was through a conversation. We were having a discussion about when things are difficult, when, tr- when life uh, seems to be containing some trials. And in that conversation, we talked about how we always end up rejoicing and being thankful as we come to the conclusion of those trials and hoping that we have learned the lessons that we needed to and so we don't have to go through that lesson again. And in that conversation, Lisa's mom mentioned that she finds herself not only doing that, but also expressing thanksgiving during the struggle and during the trial and saying, Lord, whatever it is I'm supposed to be learning or experiencing right now, I just recognize that you're in control and being thankful through it. That's really where a lot of faith is exercised. When you're in the middle of those trials and struggles, and sometimes you can't maybe see what would be the value in it or the reason for it, when we're in the middle of those circumstances, that is a huge moment of faith when we can say, God, I don't know what this is about. I'm having some difficulty seeing you within this, but I trust you for it, and I know that you'll use it to my good. And so I'm going to thank you, not even just through it, but because of it. I'm going to thank you for this struggle. That is a place where you're walking by faith and not by sight, as the Apostle Paul mentions within here. Uh, The other thing that I was very blessed by was uh, something that my daughter wrote on Facebook. She looked back over 2020, and I was very encouraged. Uh, I'll I'll tell you this, I couldn't read it without my eyes filling full of tears. It's powerful and well-written. And uh, in fact, I'm not going to get into the detail of it here It is posted on our Facebook page as well. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so. You'll probably remember that much longer than you'll remember this sermon. But she went back and recounted her experience in 2020. And uh, she had a lot on her plate in 2020. She dealt with a house fire. Husband got sick, very sick. And anyway, like I said, I'm not going to go into all the detail. You can read it better there than you can hear it here. I won't say that her life was harder than any other life in 2020. But I will say that her experience was probably harder than most. She had a lot of things that she went through. And I'm so proud of her for how she's gone through those and her perspective in the end. Because in the end, her perspective was 
2020 has been one of the best years of my life and I still have a little over a month left of it. What a cool thought. You know, I've heard a lot of people talk about 2020. I've talked about 2020. And you know what? It usually goes something like this. I'm ready for 2020 to be in the books. <laughs> right? I'm ready for 2020 to be in the past, to be in the rearview mirror. Let's get on to 21 and pray to God that it's not like 2020 was. That has been most of the thoughts that I've had about 2020 and the perspectives that I've heard from other people. Just about anything that goes wrong now, it's like, well, you know, it is 2020. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just been that kind of a year. But you know, to, to look back and to look at the things that we've gone through and, and to recognize God within the equation, to come out on the other side in praise and thanksgiving, and actually even being excited that there's a little over a month left of it. We're not done experiencing whatever God has for us in this month. That is an awesome perspective. That's the same perspective that I see in the Apostle Paul as I look through this passage. The Apostle Paul was going through a lot of hardships. He was being hunted down. He was being attacked from even within the church, in the Corinthian church. He's being attacked from within the church. He's being hunted down from people without the church. And he's going through a lot of persecutions and a lot of struggles. And the chapter begins and ends the same way. In the very beginning of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Look down toward the end. Verse, verse 16. He says, So we do not lose heart. He begins and ends the chapter the same way. We do not lose heart. We're going through these struggles. We're going through these perplexing times, unusual times. But we don't lose heart. We're still encouraged. In fact, when you get up into chapter 5, look in verse 6. It says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. In fact, in the middle of chapter 4, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You see, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, you know what, we've been going through a lot. But you know what? We do not lose heart. We are still encouraged. And it's within the midst of this exact context that he talks about the things that they're doing resulting in greater thanksgiving to God for the blessings that other people would get to experience through their ministry. And that's what we want to consider here this morning is we want to consider this idea of thanksgiving. Yes, a thanksgiving that's found in interesting circumstances. A thanksgiving that's looking back over a year that in many ways we'd just like to see it in the rearview mirror. But I think our perspective needs to be better than that. We need to see not only the struggles, but the victories. We need to see not only the sorrows, but the joys. And we need to recognize that both of them come at the hands of a very loving God. So as we consider this idea of thanksgiving and walk our way through this passage that the Apostle Paul explains it to us, we're going to notice three tools that help us to have the right perspective. Now the first tool that he gives us for having the right perspective is the gospel. It's just plain and simply the gospel. In fact, he mentions the gospel a couple times down through this chapter. In verse 3, he says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now what he's referring to here is chapter 3 was talking about Moses. 
when he went up onto the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from God, and then he comes back down off the mountain, he radiated the glory of God. And the people said, cover it up. You know, it's kind of like, I watched a Christmas movie last night. That's now, that's a huge violation of the rules in our family. Okay. The rules in our family are the day after Thanksgiving, you go get the tree, the lights go up, the Christmas movies come out, the Christmas music gets played. That's when all that happens. But I've noticed a lot of people doing Christmas earlier this year. I think it's because they feel like they need the encouragement. It's even been on the news and other places. And I noticed that my daughter Leah did something Christmassy the other day, and she's a real stickler of the rules. So I thought, well, if Leah could do it, maybe we can fudge this a little bit this time. And so we watched the Christmas Carol, and we watched the computer. They have a newer computer-generated one. And it's amazing how they can do all that stuff. But in that movie, when the spirit of Christmas past comes to visit him, he looks like this kind of a giant candle with a really bright light that comes off of him and the, the flame is his face. And, and he's kind of an interesting looking little character. And it's right toward the end of Scrooge's visit from the ghost of Christmas past. The light is shining bright and Scrooge in his hard-heartedness cannot stand the light. And he takes this cone... And he takes it and he puts it over the head of Christmas past and he pushes it down on top of it until finally no light can come out. And he's just saying, he's just trying to cover that light for all he's worth. And he pushes himself up on top of this cone, extinguishing the light. Moses came off the mountain radiating the glory of God. And they said, cover it up. In their hard-heartedness, they were not ready for the, to see the light of the glory of God. Well, the Apostle Paul, that's what he's talking about when he says if our gospel is hidden, he says we're just speaking the plain truth. We're just telling you what the gospel is. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose again from the dead, and you need to put your faith in Him to be saved. But you know what? People are still stamping out the light. He says if our gospel is hid, if it's veiled, like he was talking about chapter 3, they had Moses put a veil over his head to cover up the glory of God. He says if our gospel is veiled, if it is hidden, it is Hidden in them, the unbelievers. It's the God of this world has veiled it from those people. In the, they're in the hardness of their hearts. They just will not see the glory of God that is in the face of Jesus Christ. And it is in the Gospel that He accomplished this for us. He's just pointing out the Gospel. But the Gospel is not only something that He believes. It's not only something that Christ accomplished. The Gospel is also something that the Apostle Paul is living. Think about it. He's saying, look, I lay down my life. I risk my life. I go through these persecutions so that you can hear the Gospel, so that you can live. You see, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus laid down His life for us so that we can live. The Apostle Paul says, just as Jesus laid down His life for you to give you this salvation, I will lay down my life for you so that you can hear about the salvation and that you can believe in it and you can have life in Christ. Notice what he says in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death is at work in us, but life in you. You see, the Apostle Paul, in a very practical way, was laying down his life every day so that other people could hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ and respond in faith and experience life and life eternal. Our life is supposed to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. 
It's supposed to be a reflection of the Gospel. So if we end up going through some suffering, it should not surprise us. And especially if we end up going through some suffering for our faith. Because just as Jesus told His apostles and His disciples, He says, look, they persecuted Me, they persecuted you. They're, they're putting Me to death, they're going to come after you too. We really need to keep the Gospel at the forefront of our vision and our perspective and recognize that in this life, we're going to experience some pain and some suffering. We need to be willing to suffer that others might benefit from it. We need to be willing to die to ourselves and die to our sinfulness and die to our appetites and die to die to that self so that we can bring life to other people. You know, in Second Corinthians chapter four and verse fourteen, I think we start to get some indication of how could the apostle Paul do this? He would if you look back at his life, he was a person with power and prestige and position within society, and he gave that all away. In fact he said, I threw that on the dung heap so that he could have Christ. How was he able to do that? How was he able to lay down his own desires for enjoyment and satisfaction and fulfillment and and willing even to risk his physical life just so somebody else could hear the gospel? It's because his because of his perspective. His perspective was broader than that. In chapter four and chapter five, he uses the word know to know something three different times. In chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 1, it says, For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, talking about its physical body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then in verses 6 and 7, he says, For we are always of good cheer. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. You see, the Apostle Paul's vision, his perspective, was so much bigger than just his earthly life here at the moment. If we're talking about whether I want to cling to this life or look forward to the next one, he says it's really not that big of a comparison for me. I can die so that they can live. How can I do that? It's because I know. He knows what? I know that Jesus is going to raise me up with Him. I know that in this body, I'm apart from the Lord and my body is groaning with the rest of creation, looking forward to the redemption of that body when I'm going to be with Him again. I know that this isn't the end, it's the beginning of a much better life. You see, he's saying, I can lay down my life because I know that in laying down my life, I'm not losing anything. And so you see, he's just living out the Gospel. The Gospel contains two things. The suffering and death and the resurrected life. And the Apostle Paul says, I know I have the resurrected life so I can lay down my life just like Jesus did. And I can do it for you. When he gets down to the part where it talks about thanksgiving, he's saying, I can do that because I know that in my death, there will be this great thanksgiving that will be offered up to God because of the life that other people were able to experience because of my willingness to lay down my life. The Gospel not only needs to be what we believe saves our soul, as it does, it needs to be the pattern of our life. That we're always willing to suffer for somebody else's good. We're always willing to die so that somebody else can live. 
But not only is that a pattern or a tool that help us have that perspective, the second thing that we have is grace and glory. And I know that's two different items, but I want to keep them together. They're together in the passage, and I think it will do us well to consider them together. Notice in chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. He's saying, I'm fine with all this. I can lay down my own life because it's through the laying down of my life that more and more people will hear the gospel. Many of those people will respond to the gospel, experience that life, and give thanks to God for it. He says so for there's two things in this in this verse that he is willing to commit to. One is grace and one is glory. The grace is extended toward the people. Notice it says the grace extends to more and more. What's he talking about? He's talking about the spread of the gospel getting to more people, and so more and more people get to experience grace. And he says the second thing that I'm able to do that for is because of the glory. The glory to God. You know, those two things really make a good pattern for our life. It kind of mirrors that gospel that we're already talking about. You know, I remember when I was in Bible college, I remember in my studies I came across a biblical philosophy of child rearing. Now, that could be very broad. You can get into a lot of different things, but this is just a general. I remember reading in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, talking about Jesus as he grew. The Bible says that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So if you think about that, Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew mentally. He grew physically because he grew in stature. He grew spiritually because he grew in favor with God. And he grew socially as he grew in favor with man. And I remember thinking, that's awesome. We need to make sure always that our kids are growing in these directions. We're making sure that they're growing socially and spiritually and physically and mentally in all these different ways. And that got me thinking, well, if there's a biblical philosophy of child rearing, what is a biblical philosophy of life? And I started to ask people questions. I remember I asked the president of our college one time the same question. He says, I think of the Apostle Paul's letters. He was always measuring people by these three things, faith, hope, and love. And and he even points out that these are the greatest things, faith, hope, and love. And so he said, I always try to measure my life by those three things. And I thought, that is is awesome. That is a a good philosophy. But you know what? I remember one time when I was praying, and and this has just kind of become a standard part of, of my prayer when I'm praying for individuals that are going through struggles or things. I often find myself repeating the same phrase. Not really in a way that's just like repetitive. And not in a way that made it uh, kind of like a format that you just say this at the at the certain time or whatever. But I find myself when I'm praying for somebody else that's going through a situation, asking for two things, and they're these two things. I say, God, in this situation, work for their good and work for your glory. We mentioned that in a service not too awful long ago. Work for their good. And work for your glory. And that's exactly what he's dealing with in this passage. The Apostle Paul is saying, look, I can lay down my life and I'm okay with it as long as I know that it's going to further the grace of God, the goodness of God in your life. Then more people live. And that I know that the thanksgiving and the glory is going to God. In any situation that's going on around us, what can we do to bring about good or grace in other people's lives and bring glory to God. 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 15, it says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. And so we're commanded to be committed to bringing grace to people's lives and to bringing the goodness of God, which they don't deserve and we don't deserve, into their life because of the grace of God. You know, well, what about the glory? The glory of God is our highest purpose in life. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, it says it comes down right even down to what you eat and you drink. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, that brings us to the last point that I see in this passage, and that is what I called grading. Now, you know, I try to make things have the same letter often, if at least if the first two points lend to that, I try to try to get the third one there, only because I know it makes it easier to remember. Now you might by the end of this you might think I'm out on a limb on this one a little bit, but I don't think so. Once I explain it, I think you'll see it. What is grading? Grading is measuring something. It's about measuring. It's about comparing. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does late in the passage. Is he compares. Notice what he says in verses 17 and 18. It says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, notice what Paul says. He says, our affliction, what does he call it? Light and momentary. Now, do you realize that any affliction that we go through is going to be momentary? There is going to be an end to it. The thing is, when we look at the Apostle Paul's life, it was anything but what we would call light and momentary. He struggled for years. He was being hunted and persecuted for years and then imprisoned for, for a time and then, and then eventually put to death. And that, this affliction would last from the time that he began to follow Christ all the way up until his death, the whole rest of his life. But he's saying, doesn't matter. Because the next life is being compared to what? An eternal weight of glory. Later on in chapter 11, the Apostle Paul describes everything that he's gone through. And it's a weird conversation and he acknowledges that. He's talking about those people that claim to be super apostles, the false teachers. He says, are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. He says, it's not about comparing me to them, but unfortunately they're comparing them to me, so I have to answer it. Because it's very important that you guys follow the truth that God is revealing through us, the apostles. But then notice what he does. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Remember, it was a Jewish law. They could whip you forty times. They would always subtract one just in case they miscounted somewhere because it was against the law for them to beat you more than forty times. But they'd whip you right up next to it. Take off one just to make sure they didn't violate the law. He says five times. I went through that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
And a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." He's gone through all this, and how does he categorize it? Light, momentary. How can he look at that as light and momentary? It's horrendous. He can look at that as light and momentary because of what he's comparing it to. What he's grading it against. And that is an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The Apostle Paul says, I'm looking at my afflictions when I look at them next to the eternal weight of glory, they're nothing. These are no big deal. That's why he can have the perspective that he had because his perspective goes beyond the grave. It goes to the glory and beyond. Well, the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to make that same kind of assessment. And with that waiting for you, how easy should it be for us to live out that pattern of the Gospel, to be willing to die that others might live, to be willing to suffer hardship so that other people can experience goodness and grace and God can experience the glory.